DJ, what a weekend. What a weekend, man. Isn't this the great Canadian football that we all wanted? Exactly. No disappointments. I'm not disappointed with anything we saw this weekend. I think we got, again, once again, a healthy dose of U Sports playoff football and more. Would you agree with that? I agree. I wish we would have had some TV ratings to uh, to be able to comb through, but, you know, maybe one day soon. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Hey, listen, the Vanier Cup is on TV next week. It's on TV next weekend. So we good. We're going to get a couple hundred thousand views, right? I hope so. I will see. I hope so. <laughs> All right, here we go. My name is Deshaun Stevens. And this is DJ Lalama. And welcome to Take It or Leave It, the show we deliver U Sports football news for all 27 schools. DJ, let's just get straight into it. It was bowl weekend. We had the UTech Bowl. We had the Mitchell Bowl. Let's start with the UTech Bowl. And let's get straight into it because you're his Canada West guy. We had the Canada West team representing y'all against the AUS team. Saskatchewan Huskies, the Hardy Cup champions, took on the St. FX X-Men, the AUS champions, and Saskatchewan won this game 36-19. to 19. Quarterback Mason Nice had 327 passing yards, two touchdowns. Riker Frank had 134 rushing yards, one touchdown. And Daniel Weeb had 117 receiving yards and one touchdown. On the St. FX side, quarterback Sal Spanion had 258 passing yards, one touchdown, and he threw two interceptions. But the St. FX defense forced four fumbles. DJ, the score was 36-19, to 19, but this game was tied up until the fourth quarter. Let's talk about this game. What were your thoughts on this game? I mean, it's one of those things that we've talked about time and time again this year. I mean, the University of Saskatchewan, this game now was the fifth time. The fifth time this year that they were tied or losing at half and they came back to win. So when we talk about that perseverance, we talk about that experience, you know, kind of having a little bit of adversity and having to make those in-game adjustments based on the opposition, I mean, we talked about it this this week, right? Like the the fact that it's interconference now, you you don't have tape, right, against other people that you've played against and how they've gone up against this this you know this team that you're gonna play. So all you have to go off of is film study, right? So obviously, you know Scott Flory, a all, you know the, the coaching staff did a great job on on having a backup plan for Nias and that defense in order to take advantage of what I think a St. FX team that just didn't have that type of competition all year. And I mean, 30 of 38, 330 yards and two touchdowns in a national semifinal. We talked about a heck, you know, nominee. It's, it's hard to not want to just hand them the trophy after that type of performance in a national semifinal. But I think, again, you, you look at the University of Saskatchewan, Daniel Weeb, you know, he hasn't been the go-to guy all year, but when he needs to step up, he's one of four receivers that can do so. You look at what Riker Frank was able to do again. You look at the compliment that Kabongo adds. I mean, they're a one-two powerhouse, you know, over 200 yards rushing between the two of them, over 6.5 yards on the ground. They're a lot to handle. You know, when they go gun split, they're a lot to handle, and both of them can block. Both of them can receive out of the backfield. And both of them can run the rock. So, I mean, I think Sask um, deservedly won the game. Um, but you got to give Saint FX credit. You know, they they came out, they they hung, you know, punch for punch with a powerhouse, and um, you know they should be really proud and, and hang their heads high on on a you know well played game and a well played season. I think I really resonate now with your point last week when we talked about the Heck Crichton Award, and you said, listen, even though it's a regular season award. When these people are voting, they're going to remember most recent playoff performance. And 
if if that is the case, it's it's and it's hard not to you know remember what Mason Nice just did. It's hard to ignore what he just did once again on the road with a hurdle in front of him. In this time, the Saint FX X Men. But you look at the game he just had, like you just said, thirty for thirty eight, three twenty seven, two touchdowns. He's been doing this all year long, and even in the face of adversity, what I what I respect so much about Mason Nice and these performances, what makes these performances special is that he's not producing these performances in blowouts. This is not Saskatchewan blowing out teams by 40, by 50, like we've seen with the typical undefeated teams or the 7-1 and one teams of past, where they're just blowing teams out and filling out the stat sheets. He's doing these things in close games where there is a serious challenge and there is at some point doubt that they might even pull it out. And he's putting up yeah. these numbers. And, and I think it's just like, I made this comment last week. I said, I don't know what St. FX can bring to the table that Saskatchewan hasn't seen. Well, what they brought to the table was forcing turnovers. And even in the face of forcing turnovers, Mason Nias was still able to hold his composure, do his job. Riker Frank stepped up, did his job. Daniel Weeb stepped up and did his job when called upon because we know Perry has been the number one all season. and He's been doing his thing. And then Red Varver has been doing his thing as well. But Weeb stepped up and did his job as well. So it's just a big kudos to this team for how battle-tested they are. And my question for you that I really wonder is, was there any point during this game that you thought St. FX could actually win this game? Because it was 6-6 at halftime, 13-13 in the fourth quarter. Did you think that St. FX could somehow pull this game out? I'll be honest. I mean, uh, I don't want to say I was shocked in the first half that it was that close. Um, I, I never really thought St. FX um was in the same tier as the university of saskatchewan i mean you look at what happened throughout the game i mean sask had five fumbles you know that is very uncharacteristic for a scott flory you know mason nias led football team um so i mean in theory you give five more possessions to saint fx you know over the course of of the game um you know you look at what saint fx's quarterback was able to do with his feet to extend drives on the other side um, which, again, is something that I think the University of Saskatchewan Huskies need to shore up. Uh, they need to be able to keep quarterbacks in the pocket. I think Deja Den's a very good athlete, um, and I think it's something that he can use to his feet if need be. And I think that's something that need, they need to, again, you know, shore up and, and make sure that they're, you know, containing the quarterback perhaps a little bit better than they did this past week. But I think we have to give a shout-out to the Hoggies. You know, the O-line for the University of Saskatchewan, I mean, only one sack allowed – you know, keeping Mason Nias clean. He's able to go through all of his reads. I mean, he got nine different receivers involved. Like, think about that. In Canadian college football, I mean, you're traveling two running backs, maybe three, and you're traveling six receivers, maybe seven. And he's literally getting every single dude that's dressed on his team the ball. He's not playing favorites. He's taking what the defense gives him. And I think the way, you know, to segue into the matchup next week the way that Western's receivers were able to create separation against the Laval DBs, I think Mason Nias has a really big opportunity in front of him to uh, to pick apart the Laval secondary if the O-line is able to protect him the same way that they did this week. And you make a really good point there about how he's able to diversify the passing game. You look at a lot of these top quarterbacks that we've seen over the last couple of years. They have their number one receiver that they keep going to. Arnaud Desjardins, his number one receiver is Kevin Matap. If you look at Western, Savon Magne-Jones, and then you have Seth Robertson being the number two. Even if you look in the past, you look at like Trey Ford, Tyler Ternowski, 
you guys at the University of Manitoba, A.K. Kasama. Every single one of these great quarterbacks normally have their one or two receivers that they primarily go to that will pad up all the yards. But I love how Mason Nice, like you just said, he's able to spread the ball around. And if you look, if you look at it this year, to be honest with you, there isn't one receiver that's really risen above the rest by a far margin, right? They've all had their moments throughout the season. They've all, you know, pitched in and done their job here and there. They've all had a hand in helping this team be as successful as it is. Everyone's had to step up at some point. Everyone's because everyone's been shut down at some point. I love that Mason Nice, like you said, doesn't play favorites. I like how he's able to spread the ball around. And that's just a tribute to how good of a quarterback he is. That's when I, I feel like that's when you know you have a truly, like a truly good quarterback. When he doesn't yeah. have just one or two targets that he goes to all the time who are super talented. When he can make all of his receivers look good and make them all be in contention to hopefully one day get paid in the CFL. Um, so I think big ups to Mason Nice on that. When it comes to St. FX, I'm going to be real with you. Oh, man. It would have been nice if they won that game, wouldn't it? it wouldn't it have been nice for the culture if they won that game if they, if they had pulled that out wouldn't it have been nice i mean we could we could dream yeah. right we could dream we could dream the dream almost came true yesterday but wouldn't it have been nice dj i mean i'm biased right i'm a Cannon west dude through and through i'm biased so i mean you can dream i mean i i always want that canada west representation but I mean, look, I, when we talk about parity, I mean, there's all these conversations around, you know, how should the playoff format be done, right? Should the AUS be on the same, you know, footing that the rest of the country is in terms of opportunities to play in meaningful football games? And I mean, for a very long time, you know, and I would even argue this year, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's a blatant disrespect, but it's a different, it, it, it's a different flow of football. And, you know, when, when you, compare the conferences you know you tune in um you know I, I think there's more parity in other conferences I think there's more competition on a week-to-week -week basis but when St. FX is able to host a game of this magnitude against a team that is formidable a team that went to the Vanier Cup last year and they're able to again go punch for punch for three quarters of football I mean you have to tip your hat you know, you have to tip your hat. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, again, if you're tuning in, you know, on CBC and, and you know, you're watching this football game, you know, St. FX looks like a good football team, you know, and, and now you're giving, again, you know, high school kids from across the country with this new 95 man cap, you know, I think you're going to turn some heads. You know what, maybe we can go to the AUS, you know, and play meaningful football games. Maybe we can go to the AUS and have a chance to go pro you know, get a good education, et cetera. So, you know, kudos to St. FX last year, this year, Gary Waterman. I think he's creating more parity. I think he's unifying youth sports coast to coast, you know, with what he's been able to do with this program. And again, I'm excited to see what they do next year. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see, because again, you have to lose before you can win, right? You have to go through the adversity before you can be on top. And to your point, I mean, one can dream. I mean, absolutely one can dream. And I don't think this is the end of the St. FX era that we're seeing in AUS football. I think even though they lost yesterday's game, they morally won in the sense that like, yeah, they didn't get blown out. They looked good. They looked like a good football team. They kept the score close. They were competitive. We can sit here and say they were one quarter away from potentially going to a Vanier Cup. Culturally, they won, you know? And so I think it was, it was, it was a bright spot for them you know, to be able to go into that game 
a game that everyone thought they were going to get blown out. I thought they were going to get blown out. You thought they were going to get blown out. I think the whole country thought they were going to get blown out. I mean, you're, you're, you're facing Mason Nice for crying out loud, right? Like the way he's been torching up defenses all season, I expect them to probably have nearly 600 passing yards yesterday, if I'm being real. Like I, I expected Mason Nice to have like 600 passing yards yesterday, five touchdowns. That's what I was expecting because that's just what national semifinals have passed have you know made us come yeah. to believe we'll see but for them to come out be competitive for four quarters they won in a sense yeah they're not going to vanya cup for the aus as a conference that's a win for them what's cool now that we could say about saint effects is that like hey this is a team that has the aus figured out all right they're back-to-back champions they had 13 conference all-stars this year they essentially won every single major award in the conference can they work towards actually getting to a Vanier Cup? I think that's going to be a serious question going into next season. Can they work towards yeah. actually appearing in a Vanier Cup? This offseason is going to be huge for them, right? In terms of recruiting, what type of athletes can they bring in? Can they diversify like where they get their athletes from instead of getting them from the Atlantic? Can they tap into Ontario? Can they maybe tap into some of these Western provinces? Can they tap into Saskatchewan? Can they tap more into Quebec? They got some great players from Quebec this season. They're the rookie of the year on that team. Zachary Hood, the receiver, he's yeah. from Quebec. Can they continue to tap into different areas of the country, bring in great athletes, sell to them that idea of like, hey, you might have a chance to go to a Vanier Cup here and listen, give another team next year on the national semifinal stage a run for their money and maybe break through. Legitimately, Gary Waterman right now, he's close. He's building that yeah. formula to end what I like to call the AUS curse. And listen, I think that's what we all want. We all want to see that. Now, of course, we don't want to see an AUS team go to the Vanier Cup and get the ass beat. That's a different story. Right. right? I think that would be the worst thing ever. But if Gary Waterman can build a team that's competitive and can possibly break that AUS curse, that's a big thing to watch out for next year. But great to see Saskatchewan get to the Vanier. I think for Mason Nias, uh, I saw this on Saskatchewan's Twitter account. They said, one of the greatest Huskies of all time has the opportunity to end his career with the Vanier Cup. Great story. That just says it all. So I think the right team is playing in the Vanier Cup this year. St. Effects, they're a young team. They'll have more opportunities. But considering the seniors on this team and considering Mason Ice and the career he's had with that program, what he's done for that program, you need to see him go out in a national championship. So happy to see them. Uh, let's switch over to the Mitchell Bowl. This was a crazy game. Western versus Laval. Laval won this game 27 to 20. Arnaud Desjardins had 256 uh, passing yards and one touchdown. Kalenga Mudganga, the running back, had 173 rushing yards. Game high, 173 rushing yards. And then Laval also had four fumbles. They turned the ball over four times. Western, Evan Hillock went 17 for 31, 189 passing yards, one touchdown, while Keon Edwards played for all four quarters. He was by himself yesterday. Kanu Yazbek was the second string running back. Eduardo Wernadi was unavailable. He had 127 rushing yards, no touchdowns. DJ, I want to start on this game. What a game, first of all. I think the first half was crazy. Seeing Laval turn the ball over four times, you saw there was an issue, there was a miscommunication with the center, Thibodeau, and Desjardins. All those fumbles which led to a couple touchdowns, putting Western in great field position, seeing Western leap out to a 17-4 to lead entering halftime, but then seeing how Laval was able to take control of this game in the second half, only limit Western to only three points, and also seeing how Muganda was able to step up. 
and be the model of consistency for this team. The offense flowed through Muganda yesterday. My towel was essentially shut down yesterday. They had to win this game and get points on the board any way they could. In my opinion, we saw two things. One, we saw Laval play what I think is the, like the best second half of football any team has played all season, right? When they, when they came back in that second half, took control of the game, and were able to shut down Western defensively. But then two, we learned a lot about Evan Hillock yesterday. We learned a lot about Evan Hillock yesterday. Entering this game as a starter, he was 18 and 0, had never lost a football game. Yep. But, right, when you had to put the ball in his hands to win the game, it was a different story. So those are my two key takeaways from this game. But I want to hear what you have to say about this game. I mean, first of all, I think to your point, I, I don't think Kevin Mitel got completely shut down. I mean, still having six for 77, you know, he was still the security blanket. And I, you know, you could see Valentine you know, junior, you know, rotating over, you know, they had to move my around, you know, he was playing a bunch of different spots on that offense, trying to get him open. So I think, you know, though maybe he didn't have the hundred plus game, you know, touchdown performance that we're accustomed to seeing. I think again, you know, he served his purpose because he basically served as a decoy. He was taking one guy out of the box every single play because they wanted to make sure that my couldn't exploit them. And then you have a, you know, a power runner in Muganda come in with one guy less in the box and he went off, you know, and, and I think again, it's complimentary football. We talked about what can that Laval offense do if my isn't going to go for 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Well, we got our answer, right? We got complimentary, good team football. I think seeing a guy like Arsenal come in as a backup and all of a sudden step up, you know, go three for 52, 18 yard average, you know, those are things that you need to do in big games right, to give your team a chance, um, you know, outside of the superstars. I think Desjardins being able to keep an even keel after three straight, you know, fumbled snaps, essentially. I think, again, it, it brought a calming presence to the team. Kudos to their left guard that went in and played center for the rest of the game. You know, I think that's a huge, you know, thing to do, um, you know, later in the year like, like this, to step up and, and make sure that, again, you know, your quarterback's in a situation where he can he can at least get the ball, right? Because, I mean, that was so uncharacteristic. And you're kind of sitting there scratching your head and like, is this for real right now? Like, this looks like day one training camp shaking off the rust. And all of a sudden, Laval, you know, three straight fumbles and one of them for a touchdown. You know, it's just, it's uncharacteristic. But kudos to Laval to staying the course and Glenn Constantine on, on again, whatever that halftime message was, to your point, it worked. And, you know, we talk about the side of, of Western. I think Evan Hellock, I don't want to say it's all his fault. I, I think that's that's a little bit too uh, vague uh, right now. I, I think there were some balls into that win where they didn't come out as strong and, and maybe as low as they should have. Um, he missed, you know, hit a couple of his receivers downfield, a couple of drop passes. I mean, we're talking about six, seven balls that should have been caught, you know, two to three more touchdowns that should have been caught, you know, that receiving core, I thought they did a really good job of creating separation against the Laval secondary. Um, and unfortunately the ball just wasn't there, you know, so we, we talk about missed opportunities, you know, we, we talk about the fact that Laval blocked two, you know, field goals, you know, that's six points off the board, right? We, we talk about the fact that Laval was able to run a field goal fake and get down to the two yard line. Right and extend, and then ultimately, uh, Delaire going in and, and snuck the ball in for a touchdown. But 
it, it was a game of errors and who would make less. That's what the, it wasn't a great football game. It was very sloppy in my opinion. But ultimately, I think Laval did what they had to do. They made their checks at halftime. Glenn Collins, the team, got these guys on the same page. And ultimately, we talked about this before, Keon Edwards, he still went over 100 yards, but he didn't have the big runs like we're used to seeing. Like his longest run of the day was 13 yards. So they weren't getting these big plays. And I think that's one thing that hurt them where, you know, they just couldn't sustain drives in the second half specifically. Kudos to Laval. I think um, I want your opinion on this too, but how about Alec Poirier? He's a guy, obviously an RSEC all-star, playing the middle linebacker spot at 260 pounds. And watching him run sideline to sideline, watching him come into the A-gaps, B-gaps, and essentially be the hammer and, and you know stop Keon dead in his tracks, that was a, a real special performance by him. And he's going to have to do the same thing next week against Riker, Frank, and Kabongo in that Saskat uh, Saskatoon backfield. So I have a couple points, a couple points I want to touch on. The yep. first thing I want to touch on is my towel. All right. And you're right. Based on his production, if you compare it to any of the average U sports receivers that we see, he didn't get shut down. But considering the fact that last week, Laval, essentially after a poor first half, went yep. to him in the second half and he took over and scored all three touchdowns to bring them back into the game, considering that he is the MVP of that conference yep. as a receiver, right? And, and arguably the best receiver in U sports football. Like they did what they needed to do to not make him a factor in this game. Like he was not the factor in this game that many people would have sure. thought he would have been. In terms of limiting my towel, mission accomplished. He, he wasn't a factor in that game at all. When I look at Evan Hillock, my biggest thing with Evan Hillock is yesterday he had to throw the ball more than he's probably yeah. had to all season long. In the biggest game of the season, you're overthrowing receivers. He, I mean, he overthrew Justin Nixon in the first quarter on a play that could have been a touchdown. He underthrew Savon Magnate Jones in the second quarter on a, on, in the end zone on a play that would have been a touchdown. Underthrew Justin Nixon on a huge play in the third quarter that could have kept the drive alive. Uh, he didn't see Coleman wide open on the flats in the fourth quarter when there was less than two minutes remaining on third down on a, on a play that would have extended the drive to help save the season. And then yeah. on the final play of the game, he ran out of bounds. He didn't have knowledge on what, what time was on the clock, thinking maybe he could have like stopped the clock or something to get one more play. Wasn't his best performance. I'm with you on that for sure. I mean, yeah. I think that to, to your point too, you know, the, the only thing, and again, this is speaking on someone that, you know, we're, we're both ex-players, right? And quarterbacks are supposed to be leaders and, you know, whether it's deserving or not. I mean, that's that's the position that these guys are thrust into. The only thing that I can say beyond what you've already mentioned was the body language. You know, so you're watching this guy who, again, unbeaten in his youth sports career, you know, a lot of times like arms up, right? Head back you know, kind of rolling of the eyes, so to speak. And, you know, again, you're pulling the trigger. At the end of the day, yes, there were, I, I think, a couple balls that receivers could have caught. Um, you know, they got their hands on it. They could have made spectacular plays and helped them out. But when you're the guy, when you are the guy, you know, you need to set the tone and you need to make sure that you're bestowing this confidence in your group that it's going to be okay and that I'm here and I got you guys. And when you see some of the body language that you did see, 
you know, you're kind of sitting there and scratching your head a little bit and just saying, Hey man, like this is your time to shine, right? You got to step up in the moment. And, um, you know, body language says a lot. And I just hope that, uh, you know, he's able to use this as motivation as he heads into the off season and into next year, because again, he's going to be in this position next year. Right. And then he'll be able to write his, uh, his, his next chapter. And, you know, you and I will be having another conversation. And that's facts because with body language, when it comes to Evan Hillock, like his body language is always super confident. Like he's a guy that's dancing before games, doing his thing, chilling. He's a super yeah. chill guy, right? He's all smiles all the time. He's up, his energy's up, right? So to see that body language yesterday, where he kind of looked a little bit rattled, a little bit shook, it showed. It definitely showed. And then the last thing I want to touch on is Keon Edwards in the run game. So Keon Edwards, again, went over 100 yards, uh, his 11th straight game of 100 or more yards impressive but i'm not surprised to have seen what i saw from keon edwards yesterday because we got to remember for majority of the season he's had winati then both of them as that one-two punch yesterday was actually i think in my opinion was the first game that we've seen all season where keon edwards carried the load for four straight quarters like four straight court quarters like keanu yazbek before keon edwards got injured in the fourth quarter keanu yazbek only touched the field two times and so my biggest yeah. worry during the game while I'm on the mic is I'm saying to myself in my head, I'm saying, Oh my gosh, this is his first time carrying the load for four quarters. Is he going to break down? Because he's never played a full four quarter game all season. Actually, he's never played a full full four quarter game in his U sports career, because even going back to last season, he was splitting with Trey Humes and Edward Winati. So my biggest thing with Keon Edwards is what does he look like as a four quarter running back, which is the first time we've ever saw him as a four quarter running back. And I'm not surprised sure. to have seen him get shut down. And then with Alec Poria, I said it before the game yesterday, I said he needs to have the game of his life and, and stop that Western run game if Laval wants to get to a Vanier Cup. And he had the game of his life, 17.5 tackles. He was always in the hole, ready for Keon Edwards, met him at the line every single time and shut down that run game out. Keon Edwards had 127, but again, didn't touch the end zone. Like you said, didn't break any big runs, couple missed tackles here and there. But at the end of the day, Poirier did his job and he did it well. And it was impressive, again, to see someone like him, who's the size of a defensive lineman, travel east-west, travel east-west, meet Edwards at the line, get to the line before Edwards even got to line at some points. Poirier did his job yesterday. He did it to an elite level. But I said it last week. I said they're going to need Edward Winati if they want to get to the Vanier Cup and if they want to win the Vanier Cup. And that proved to be true yesterday. Uh, because the, the unique thing about Western's run game is they're always giving you different looks. And I think that's what makes them so different. They're giving you different looks. They're giving you the Keon Edwards look, and they're giving you the Edward Winati look. And then sometimes they'll give you the Keanu Yazbek look. And sometimes if they're bored, they'll give you the Troy Thompson look. Yesterday, yeah. they only gave you the Keon Edwards look. And for a linebacker like Poirier, he's prepping for multiple looks. He was probably prepping for multiple. He was probably prepping for three looks. But yeah. if, he's, if he's entering the game, he's saying, oh, I'm only getting one look. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's like he's he's licking his chops. He's like, okay, good. This is good. This is easy for me, right? So, big ups to him. He did his job. He did it well, and that's why he was a defensive MVP of that game. I think he played an amazing game. And again, now I'm curious to see what he does next week against Riker Frank. You you have to wonder too. You know, with, with Poirier, you know, being essentially just like a 50 lineman yesterday in terms of how they were being used. You know, you got to give a shout out to the halfbacks at Laval too, who ended up coming in and, and playing, you know, great as run stoppers on the edge um, to really limit any of that outside exposure that there could have been, you know, in that in, in that core. Um, obviously, Hugo LaRue with those two big blocks, I mean, phenomenal day. 
But when we talk about the Western Mustangs offense here for a second, you know, you say, oh, we only got the Keon Edwards look. You know, to my count, now again, as an observer, right, I'm not in the game, but really they ran fullback trap, they ran power, and they ran counter. And there's always movement, right? So as a defensive player, if you're queuing into what the movement is pre-snap, you're going to have a pretty good idea on what's coming. And I just wonder, okay, Western's a run team. Alec Poirier, essentially a 50 lineman. Why not utilize some RPO, some true play action, and then have your slot box go over top of the middle? Like there's no linebackers there. And the DBs from Laval, they didn't have their best day. So my question, again, to, you know, if we're, if we're posing on, you know, hey, what could Western have done better? I just wonder why we didn't see more play action. You know what I mean? Like, why not use Keon Edwards? If he can't ground and pound, they still have to respect him. Well, fake the handoff, bring it, little three-step, and why don't you just hit the quick five, six, seven, eight-yard, you know, slants over the middle and take advantage of Poirier playing on the line of scrimmage. You know, it, it's one of those things where, again, you have to be able to adjust in-game. We talked about, you know, Laval. They have to step up to the challenge against the run, and they did. But Western, rather than, then you know, kind of looking at plan B or C, it's like they just tried to bully and, and keep to the plan A, and Laval didn't have it. You know, so that's the only thing I wish they would have done a little bit better. Use those slot backs on Western's offense. Use the, you know, the RPO, true play action. And I think we would have had a little bit more of a competitive game um, in the second half. Um, and we would have been talking about a higher scoring game as well. So my question for that is, I wonder what the confidence was in Hillock yesterday, right? Given, point, given the inaccuracy of some of his passes. And I was sitting in on the uh, the press conference, the Mitchell Bowl press conference on Thursday. And Greg Marshall said, if it's second and eight, we're running the ball. That's what yeah. he said. He said, if it's second and eight, we're running the ball. And I was like, whoa, second and eight, you're running the ball. Okay. I want to know what was the confidence in Evan Hillock yesterday just given the inaccuracy of some of his passes, because I agree with you, right? If you're, if you're establishing the run and Keon Edwards is, you're handing the ball off to him constantly, 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 and Poirier is saying, okay, the run's coming. I'm just going to, I'm just going to blitz the A gap, B gap, whatever. Why not use that play action? And of course, one of Evan Hillock's most comfortable looks that he's gone to all season is Seth Robertson or Griffin Campbell slant across the middle. Yep. Right. Like that's his most comfortable look that he's gone to all season. Why not go to that if the middle of the field is going to be wide open? Because that's what Laval was doing. Laval was looking at Laval was looking at Western secondary and saying, okay, they're going to play zone defense. And the middle of the field is wide open. And you saw uh, Leclerc multiple times across the middle of the field. You saw those those few times where Mattel touched the ball across the field. Why didn't Western do the same thing if they had the opportunity? So I agree with you. I think there was a lot of offensive production that was left on the table by Western yesterday. And I think it just begs to differ. How do they, how do they fix some of these problems going into next year? Because in my opinion, they were exposed yesterday. I think the reality is we learned with Western that if they don't have depth at running back and you can load the box and tackle well, you can stop their run game. And then we also learned that if you force the ball into Evan Hillock's hands, then you can beat them. They are a beatable team. They didn't seem like the number one team in the country yesterday, if we're being honest. I think you probably agree with me if I said that. But then again, also, Laval didn't seem like the number two team in the country. So, you know, whatever. But <laughs> but um, I want to know how they solve these problems next year, right? So that's my biggest thing, Western. A lot of opportunity left on the table. 100%, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I think two other things that stuck out for me on the Western side of the ball 
I mean, first of all, a uh, big shout out to Brendan Murphy, the, you know, the, the linebacker there, the will linebacker for, for Western, you know, watching him play, obviously I'm biased, you know, I played that position as well. And, you know, you look at how they're able to use him, you know, not only in the blitz game, but in the pass coverage game, you know, just a sound tackler, you know, he was dinged up a little bit, you know, was out, was in, was out, was in, um, was still two sacks on the day, you know, five and a half tackles. You know, I thought he was the brightest spot on that Western defense. Um, and another question that I have, I guess, in terms of, or not, not a question, but rather a comment, you know, I played at Western for a year. You know, I've seen TD Waterhouse, now Western Alumni Field, just packed, right? Like football in London, alive and well. And you have the best marquee matchup in Canadian college football this year, and you're only able to pull out 1,900 fans. So I don't know if Western was like, oh, we're just going to go to the Vanier and we're going to sell out and that's what we're focused on. But again, if you're, you know, if we're putting everything on the table here, you take it or leave it in terms of our opinions. My question is, how do you only pull 1,900 fans out to a national semifinal as the host team, as the defending champions? It makes no sense to me. You know, you look at the game, Laval had as many fans there as Western had, you know? It was supposed to be the home field advantage. I didn't see it. I'm not saying that's the reason why they lost, but I'm saying all these little things adds up. And again, it's just a question, you know, that I have. It goes, it's important, you know, places like Laval, places like Saskatoon, places like Western, they are notorious for having home field advantage. And I'm not sure why you were on the ground there. Maybe, you know, maybe the 35 kilometer winds was too much. But my question is, how is that the support? that these kids got, you know, in the biggest game of the year. And I agree with that point because even looking at the press conference last week, one of the things that Greg Marshall was so happy about was the reality that we don't have to face Laval in Quebec city. They get right. to come to us. Was there even a home field advantage? Listen to this. Laval had to drive 12 hours from Quebec city to London. They drove on Thursday night. So they arrived there in the wee hours of like Friday morning. They get there and they realize that there's no hotels in London. So they have to drive an hour and a half to the nearest hotel. They stay the night, do their thing. And then on game, they have to drive an hour and a half and play that game. And when I learned that, I was saying to myself, my goodness, what a journey. It's like, then you got to play in this game in this weather. Like, where is it? Like minus 15, minus 20. And so I was saying to myself, yeah. wow, like they've gone through all that while Western is chilling at home. They, got, they probably got to walk to the stadium the next day. Western's entering this game with a big advantage. And so in the first quarter, when I saw all these fumbled and all these botched snaps and high snaps, I was saying to myself, yeah, this is the effect. This is the effect of having to travel 12 right. hours, can't find a hotel, then drive an hour and a half north to get to the, the nearest hotel, then drive an hour and a half south to get to the stadium on game day. And you had to do your walkthrough in the dining room of a hotel. Didn't have any field time. The last time they probably touched the field was probably Thursday morning or Wednesday night. Again, to your point, like Western, they didn't pack that stadium. The entire away bleachers on the side were empty. And you heard the air horns, which means you knew Laval fans were in the building. I'm looking at this game, I'm saying, man, maybe they did focus on trying to sell out the Vanier because that game sold out. They did their thing. Took them like four months to sell it out, right? But thank God they sold it out, right? Because I think that's just so important. It's important to have a packed house for the Vanier and hopefully it stays Do you think packed. it'll be packed? 
I hope so. Yeah, do you think it'll be packed? I hope I hope it stays packed because now that's my question. My thing is like, oh my gosh, you don't have a home team. The home team's not playing there now. <laughs> so, yeah. and and I'm thinking about the price of these tickets. They were all like maybe like 30 bucks, 25 bucks. I think they were starting at 25 bucks. So my biggest concern now was like, oh my gosh, like people pay 25 bucks for these tickets. They didn't pay a fortune for these tickets, right? Yeah. Are they going to care to even go anymore and sit in the cold for two and a half hours to watch not even their home team play? I don't know. I think this is all part of that, you know, that conversation, again, Paige and Jim Mullen here, just a little bit, but this is why, in my opinion, why not just put the Grey Cup and the Vanier Cup together? You have to make it a celebration of football, rather than, again, crossing fingers and hoping that you have a team from that conference and or the home team, in this case, Western, you know, playing in the game to make it worthwhile. And, you know, I would say take Laval when Quebec hosts. I mean, they just do a phenomenal job of supporting football in that province. But elsewhere, we haven't seen sellouts. We haven't seen the support, right, that says, oh, yeah, like we need to keep down this path. So, again, I think it's one of those things where depending on what the attendance ends up being, you know, next weekend, it probably just raises that question even more. You know, why not play the Vanier Cup on the Saturday, play the Grey Cup on the Sunday, make it a full celebration, you know, we're talking about marketing to the new CFL fan, the young people, right? The youth the sports supporters, right? That's who the CFL needs to start marketing to. What better way to do it than bring everyone to one city? Bring everybody to one city, you know, the, the future and the present of Canadian football and make it a spectacle. Make it a true celebration, irregardless of which teams end up in the Grey Cup, which teams end up in the Vanier Cup. And I think that's something that, again, you know, depending on how this uh, this week goes and, and how the attendance goes, it's going to be something that we should talk about. I agree. And listen, I think we've spent the whole season calling out youth sports to do a better job there. But I think we also need to call out the CFL because as the, the leaders, as yes, they're the leaders of football in this country. And I think they need to they need to start giving a damn about university football outside of just CFL combine season. You can't just go the whole year, not care about university football. And then when it turns to March, oh yeah, let's start marketing to the, to the younger generation. You can't do that. You have yeah. to be consistent. Consistency is the heart of perfection. And you know, you can't just show you care about university athletes and university sports just one month. They can do better in terms of catering to university sports. Yeah. I think like, you know, they need to be the leaders and say like, hey, let's get the, let's get the Vanny Cup paired with the Grey Cup. Let's get, you know, Vanny Cup ticket sales paired with Grey Cup ticket sales and say like, hey, listen, buy your Grey Cup tickets. But you know what? If you pay an extra 15 or $20 more, you can get a ticket to the Vanier Cup the night before. We need that. Yeah. yeah. We need that. If you have the capacity to help you sports football outside of the months of just March, why not do it? It's only going to make your product better. It's only going to make your ecosystem more successful. It's only going to bring more eyes to your product. You know, one thing that I do ask as well is, you know, in my opinion, we talk on like hierarchy and, and the CFL being at the top, right? And, you know, you're going to have this default domino effect, whether you want that responsibility or not, that that's what the CFL has in this country. And I mean, it's, it's something as silly as the CFL Grey Cup is being played today, the Sunday in which this, this episode is being recorded. And that's supposed to be the end of Canadian football for this calendar year. That is supposed to be the stamp. That's supposed to be the culmination of all the hard work, you know, the the cold, et cetera, et cetera. And then we're just going to go to London, Ontario next week and play a Vanier Cup. 
like, you know, whoever wins, whether it's Toronto, whether it's Winnipeg, they're still going to be celebrating next weekend. They're not even going to have any cups going on. And those are the, you know, those little call it logistical items that it just leaves you scratching your head. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be someone that played in both leagues and, and I'm a huge advocate of Canadian college football. I'm still involved. And, you know, you look at my time in the CFL and there's relationships that are going to last forever. And all you want to see from an organizational standpoint is that league get better than how you found it so that the next generation can reap that reward tenfold to what you reap the reward of. And you just look at some of these conversations and, and some of the, you know, some, some of the bare details and, and it's just not getting there. And it's okay to be critical, right? To your point, I think it's okay to be critical of the powers that be because it's the only way to push the agenda, right? Obviously the status quo is not, you know, the utmost potential, but you need to keep these conversations going so that people understand that there are people that care, right? There are ways that we can make this better together, right? If you had, think about it right now, we talked about what is the best province of football right now in Canada, Saskatchewan. We talked about it all year. And Saskatchewan is hosting, could be hosting the entire pinnacle of football in this country at every level, right? They hosted the Canadian Bowl. They could host the Vanier Cup. They could host this, the, the Grey Cup. Can you imagine if you had that pinnacle going on at the same time? Can you imagine what that would do from tourism? Can you imagine what that would do for the next generation of fan? Can you imagine what that would do for the junior players that want to be U sport players, the U sport players that want to be CFL players, to the U sport players that want to be CFL fans when their career ends? It's just this continuum that we collectively in this country need to do a better job. And I think that's why on a show like this, with you as an advocate, we take it or leave our opinion, but we're keeping the conversation going. And I think that's what's most important right now. That's facts. That's facts. We're going to state our opinion, take it or leave it, but we're going to keep the conversation going. Let's talk about the Vanier. We got Saskatchewan versus Laval. I think this is a matchup that not a lot of people expect us to see. I think the, I think for some reason, for some reason, I feel like all season, we've all just believed that it was going to be Saskatchewan and Western again. I think it was because Western was, you know, the number one team in the nation and Saskatchewan was just doing their thing and looking good and having the heck cried an award winner. But Western's not there. It's Laval. And this is a pretty damn good football team that I think deserves to be in, in the Vanier Cup and might be a more complete team that Western than Western is. So I think we're in for a really good matchup. DJ, I want to start with you. What are your thoughts on this matchup and who do you see taking this game? I think it's a really good matchup. And, and if I'm being honest with you, I actually think when we talk about if if you put you know, if, if you had a stencil drawing going right now and you had the Saskatchewan Huskies roster and you're like, hey, we're going to find the team in the country that resembles this roster and the makeup of it as closely as possible and you put another stenciled paper down, these two teams would basically overlap one another. That's my honest opinion. You have Mason Nayes, you know, the OG, the Heck Crichton winner, but then you have Desjardins, the next guy. At running back, right, we have by committee and, and Laval's running game showed up. So you have Duff, you have Maganda, right? And then on the SAS side, you have Kabongo and you have Frey. So you have two dudes on both teams that can ball out. We talk about receiver. Well, it was the Kevin Maital show until this weekend. And then all of a sudden, four other guys step up. Well, on Sask, it's been three or four guys all year. You know, O-line, both formidable on both sides. D-line, formidable on both sides. You have Nick Weeb. You've got Poirier two of the best middle linebackers in the country going head to head. And 
in the defensive backfield, in my opinion, that is the weak. I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad. Hear me out. But that is the weaker component, right? The front seven on both of these teams are very good. If you had to say, hey, where could you exploit the opponent? It'd be, it'd be in the pass game. So I'm really excited because they are so similar in their construct. They are so well coached. They are so experienced. I'm so, I'm so excited and it's hard for me to say who's going to win this game. I think Laval um, is the underdog. I think Laval uh, has more to prove. I think everyone in this country was, uh, okay, well, Laval's won nine championships since 1999. Like, we want to see someone else get in there, right? Like, and, and that's been the MO for the last few years. But Laval's tired of hearing that in their back. And Sass, to your point, they've been building for this moment. Their window is open as it ever has been. Can they take advantage? I'm biased. I think the most complete team, I think the team that's had to come back five times from being tied or losing at halftime this year in different ways is the University of Saskatchewan. I think they have a slight edge. I think they have a slight edge. Experience the NIAS effect. It's hard for me to go against them. If I'm a betting man, I'm going with the Huskies in a very, very, very close game. I can't even top that breakdown, bro. I can't even top that breakdown. You said it perfectly. Like, these two teams are so similar. And you brought the point before we went on the air. You brought the point that in this past weekend, semifinal matchups, you said this. This is your point. I'm still, I'm giving you credit for this. You said that their statistics <laughs> were essentially the same. The amount of times they yeah. turned over the ball, essentially the same. Passing yards, essentially the same. Every Everything was essentially the same. If I'm looking at Mason Nias, I want to see him get a ring, man. I want to see yeah. him get a ring. I don't want to see him retire without a national championship. I want to see Mason Nias get a ring because realistically, he's been that next great U Sports quarterback over the last couple of years. I, I like to call it like the post-pandemic era. Like sure. Mason Nias is the quarterback of the post-pandemic era. The pre-pandemic era was was Chris Merchant. And then before Chris Merchant, it was Will Finch and Hugo Richard. But our quarterback right now that we're looking at this era has been Mason Nice. And I think it would just be wrong to see this boy retire without a ring. I want to see him get a ring. And you talked about window of opportunity. This is the window. I agree with you on that. This is the window. I think they could have even won last year if they were playing on a proper football field, if you ask me. Right? But this is the window. I don't know what the team's going to look like next year. Mason Nice is gone. A lot of people are leaving. This is the window. I want to see Saskatchewan get done. I want to see Mason Nice get a ring and close out his career with a national championship because he deserves that. Again, when we talk about the storylines in Canadian college football, we talk about how many of these kids, you know, the expectations, you know, who kept and met those expectations. And then all of these new names that we've started to talk about as the year has gone on because they've just stepped up. Right. They've put themselves, their programs on the map. And that's the exciting part when you cover, you know, 18 year olds to 22, 23, 24 year olds is expectations are the job of the media. Right. We all have to formulate some opinion going into the season to have those storylines. But the beautiful thing about these kids and them maturing in front of your eyes is that now we get the two most mature programs going head to head 
right? And we've talked about people conference to conference, AUS, you know, it, it's it's just a phenomenal year of football. And to have it culminate in these two teams in a city that typically supports football really, really, really well, I'm just excited to have that be the pinnacle. And I think, like you said, you're going to see Mason Nayas, you know, grabbing the Vanier Cup and hoisting it. And deservedly so. Um, I think Laval obviously is is going to be a great competition. I think Desjardins needs to deal with some adversity before he becomes that next guy. That's, again, that's that's my opinion. I know you've already shared yours. Um, but to both teams, I mean, I can't say anything other than uh, best of luck. You know, and I know the entire country is is getting excited to, to watch the game that's going to unfold next week. And to the people in London, please go to the game. <laughs> please fill those stands. Please go to the game. Make it look good, for real. I think, like, even though Western's not playing, this is the best matchup we could have possibly gotten. We might, have not, we might not have known it until now, but this is the best football game that we could have possibly gotten, right? So for the people in London, go out to the game, dress warm. I don't want to hear no excuses about, oh, it was minus 20 this, it was snowing that. No, 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 no. This is probably the best game we could have gotten. Go out to the game, go see it. You won't regret it. But DJ, that's a wrap. This is our second last episode, bro. For those that are going to be listening to the podcast in a couple of days, just so you guys know, Deshaun is crying on camera right now. You guys can't see it come the podcast when it's published, but right now he's got tears going down his face. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying this because we're co-hosts, but the amount of passion, the amount of work, um, the amount of dedication uh, that he puts in, you know, day in, day out to use sport football, um, it makes the game better. It makes the conversation better. And uh, to his point, I think, you know, we need to do our job as alumni, you know, our job as, as football supporters, we need to do our job to, to continue the conversation. Um, and Deshaun is, is at the, the forefront of that movement. So shout out to you, man. Uh, looking forward to having our uh, Vanier Cup review next week. Bro, I appreciate the kind words, man. You're actually going to make me cry. I wasn't crying, but I'm, you might actually make me cry now. Real talk. But no, man, I appreciate that. And I think it's a team effort, bro. I think it's a team effort, right? Like change doesn't happen unless you have multiple people trying to, you know, sit at the forefront and move things together. Big ups to you. Big ups to everyone that's on this journey of trying to push Canadian football and Canadian sports forward together. And, you know, hopefully we can sit here, you know, in a couple of years from now and, and look back and say like, wow, you know, all those efforts really did, you know, pay off. But um, let's wrap up, man. Let's wrap up. If you made this far, big ups to you. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Deshaun Stevens, DJ Lalama, signing off from the second last episode of Take It or Leave It for the season. Peace and blessings always.